Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Inclusion. Diversity. Working together. Inclusivity. Equity, courage, cultures, experiences, new ways of being. The Josh Hammer Show. <laughs> I'm Josh Hammer. Welcome back for our new episodes. We want to go deep this week with you. We want to do a special episode on the rise of woke capital, the rise of the woke corporation, the rise of the very idea that corporate America exists, not necessarily to, as Milton Friedman famously said in his theory of the firm, to exist for purposes of returning shareholder value, but to enact and impose and force down our throats if necessary, a sweeping cultural and civilizational agenda. For those of you who caught last week's show, you will recall we spent a good amount of time discussing the recent hullabaloo over Bud Light, an iconic American beer company, the America's number one best-selling beer, in fact. I guess we'll see how long that lasts. But Light obviously has gone horribly woke recently. With Just to briefly recap here, you had the vice president of marketing, Alyssa Heinerscheid, who on a leaked video talked about how she felt the need for Bud Light to move away from their quote-unquote fratty consumer base and to embrace new markets. Well, what would those new markets be? Well, it turned out we loyal college basketball fans found out a couple weeks ago around the time of the NCAA tournament final four that Bud Light envisioned partnering with the transgender community. They presented commemorative cans for Dylan Mulvaney, a transgender activist and influencer who was last seen interviewing none other than Joe Biden himself. These cans were celebrating Dylan Mulvaney, who was a biological male, his quote-unquote 365 days of girlhood. And the pushback has been intense. Now, actually, really just since our last episode, the, the right has actually divided over the Bud Light pushback. You've seen Donald Trump Jr., perhaps most notably, who has tried to call off the attack dogs. He is basically saying enough is enough. Query why that is. Unsure why that is. I mean, Anheuser-Busch allegedly gives a, a much more money to the Republican Party and RNC, NRCC, and so forth than most of corporate America does. Unclear exactly what is going on there. Not a good look, in my opinion, frankly, for, for Donald Trump Jr. We can get into that a little later if you want. But the point that I want to make here, I do think that the Bud Light episode in particular should be viewed as a turning point because it is just such an audacious flexing of woke muscle, such an outrageous shoving down our gullets of a deeply, deeply divisive gender ideology and transgender agenda to a consumer base that who knows exactly what the politics of the media and Bud Light drinker are. But again, Bud Light, which is as American as apple pie, you got to think it's politically mixed at best. And the pushback has been really, really, really inspiring. But the point that we want to make here 
especially as here in Florida, Governor DeSantis continues his crusade against the Walt Disney Company, something that we are going to get into in a pack a little later. The point that we want to make here is that this shit has been happening for a few years now, okay? This Bud Light thing did not come out of nowhere. I mean, those of you who have been who have been paying attention to this, you will remember Nike and Colin Kaepernick and kneeling for Black Lives Matter and all of that. This has been going on for many years now. So one thing that we wanted to do for you, just pull up a few kind of notable examples of some other companies just going horribly woke. Embrace faiths, cultures, disabilities, what? differences. Are you kidding me? Embrace races, ages, ideologies, personalities. Ideologies, unless you're a conservative. Generation. I, I mean, like, what, what is this? Why is Apple talking about whether you're disabled? Or not? Does Apple give a crap whether you've, whether you've gotten a horrible skiing accident and you've had your legs amputated? Since when do companies care about this crap? Back when I was studying economics in college, the purpose of a corporation was to sell widgets, was to increase your supply curve of widgets, maximize production subject to input constraints and all of that stuff that you learn in Econ 101 class. I, I, I mean, why the hell does a company like Apple care about supporting ideology? By the way, when they talk about supporting ideologies, Apple, like most of the other titans of big tech and the gatekeepers of the app stores, when they talk about ide protecting ideologies, they're not so interested for the most part in protecting dissident right of center ideologies, as the, as the case may be for Apple, which via Foxconn and other subsidiaries is highly active in China and actually, as the case may be for Apple, active even in Xinjiang, where the Uyghur uh, concentration camps are. As the case may be for Apple, they might have a rather curious definition, definition of which ideologies they do support and support hearing and which they do not. Let's take a listen to Degree. Degree has created the world's first adaptive deodorant built with a diverse disability community because there should be no limits when something moves us. Diversity in deodorant? What? I just don't understand why if you accept the basic premise that your job is to make widgets hint, hint, they reject that basic premise. Why you would need to go down this rabbit hole and really what a, what a rabbit hole it has become. That's why diversity and inclusion isn't just good for society, it's good for business and essential, absolutely essential to creating a healthier, more equitable world for everyone. So last I checked, maybe it was the role of the United Nations or the European Union or the International Criminal Court or some of these other transnational woke lefty bodies to speak about a quote-unquote equitable world of everyone. When the hell did it become the job of corporate America to start talking about the quote-unquote equitable job of everyone? There's power in belonging. Diversity, equity, and inclusion are everyone's responsibility. We challenge you to speak up, be bold, be open to learning, and be you. Let's work together to drive meaningful and lasting change. Be bold, be you. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
Now, for those of you who listened to our recent episode with the great Heather McDonald of the Manhattan Institute, you understand that the words diversity, equity, and inclusion, which may sound lofty and anodyne and innocuous, are anything but that. DEI is the ideological touchstone off of which the entire critical race theory apparatus, the entire notion that we do not believe in equality of opportunity, but in forcible totalitarian equality of outcome, that is the wellspring, that is the faux intellectual starting point for all of the madness that you see all across America. There is simply no way to reconcile the way that the left speaks about quote-unquote equity with meritocracy, with, frankly, just equal inherent human dignity, the kind of dignity that Thomas Jefferson wrote about in the Declaration, the kind of human dignity that is right there in the book of Genesis, Genesis 127, we are all made in God's image. There is no way to reconcile that. So corporate America has been doing this for a number of years now. Like I said, this is, this is something that's been going on for a good amount of time, not that long. I mean, if you go back as recently as, you know, 20, 25 years ago or so, back to the 1990s or so, this was considerably, substantially, substantially less prevalent than it currently is today. So what has changed? What has changed? Well, a few things changed. I think you really started to see the rise of what we would call the woke corporation, the social activist, the social justice corporation. A lot of this really started happen, start happening during the Trump presidency. And part of my take on this is that the left viewed Trump and the Republican Party under his leadership as such an unbelievable threat not merely to their existence, but just to their shibboleths in general, to all that they cared about, as such a threat that the way to combat that threat was not necessarily just with political power, but with an all-hands-on-deck sprawling approach encompassing corporate and economic power as well. It's devious, it's deeply devious, but it's actually kind of clever as well. Think about the kind of things that corporate America can get away with. So, you know, at Newsweek last month, we ran a piece from the Claremont Institute's Washington, D.C.-based Center for the American Way of Life. Claremont's D.C. operation has of late been shining a spotlight on the depth and breadth of BLM Black Lives Matter corporate donations since the beginning of the George Floyd riots and America's great racial reckoning back in 2020. Do you know what the the total number is of BLM-related donations that corporate America has made since the George Floyd riot started about three years ago now? According to Claremont's calculation, it is around $82.9 billion. That is $82.9 billion of funding from corporate America that is not going to maximize shareholder value, that is not going to increase productive capacity, that is not going to building new facilities, to new factories. It's certainly not going to raise wages for the working and middle class. It's not going to boost benefits. It's not going to get nicer insurance to lower healthcare premiums, anything like that. No. It's going to fund, in the particular case of Black Lives Matter, a radical Marxist outfit 
with delusions of grandeur of uprooting ultimately all of Western civilization and building something anew. That is not an exaggeration, by the way, as to what Black Lives Matter stands for. The same Black Lives Matter that Nike due to Colin Kaepernick and all the other excesses of racialist wokeism have fully embraced over the past few years. And again, uh, from the last perspective, it's actually quite clever. Why is it clever? Because they're able to accomplish a lot of this outside of political power. They are able to take this money and be social activists without having to get into the nasty business of lobbying in Washington, D.C. or the 50 state capitals, of having to get involved in the nasty Bismarckian sausage-making process of how legislation is actually made, of having to talk to the governor of XYZ state no, they can actually, from this perspective, just do it on their own. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm-mm-mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. The obvious tension comes with the notion that these dollars are not necessarily being used, as I have said now multiple times, to maximize shareholder value, which, under corporate law, under most extant existing case law, still is the fiduciary duty of the firm, of the corporation to maximize shareholder value. And is that tension that we will probably, hopefully I should say, continue to play out in litigation over the next few years. There's been various kind of nascent, kind of up and coming, kind of anti-ESG, ESG really just being kind of the corporate wing of the DEI movement, this emphasis from BlackRock, Larry Fink, other sort of kind of globalist uh, icons of that of that ilk, ESG standing for environmental, social, and governance, is kind of just the woke DEI investment version, which means that you should focus on XYZ things and investment. Again, it's the same idea. You're not prioritizing returns. You're not prioritizing shareholder value. No, instead, you are prioritizing a social agenda. That is what the $82.9 billion for BLM is. That is what DEI is, CRT, ESG, all this alphabet soup crap. And it is crap. So one company that has been really just kind of leading the charge over the past few years, and Governor DeSantis has really kind of shined a spotlight on this with his crusade against them. One company that's really been leading the woke charge, especially when it comes to the LGBT agenda, has been the Walt Disney Company. Hello, and welcome to the Disney Plus This Is Me Pride Celebration Spectacular. I'm Nina West, and I'm here to guide you through a magical, musical, and meaningful celebration of the LGBTQ plus community. I want Disney fans of all identities to know that you are welcome in this family and our celebration of pride. None of this is new for Disney. They've been doing this in all sorts of ways. Uh, this listenership for the show is probably familiar with the way that Disney incorporated LGBT themes into its recent Lightyear movie during the whole uh, first bout 
of the DeSantis versus Disney debate last year. You saw these internal videos that came up. Chris Rufo did an admirable job of exposing it where higher ups and executives at the Walt Disney Company were openly, openly admitting. And sometimes they were actually bragging about how they were seeking to gayify, to make gayer. Uh, I mean, I don't even think that's my word. I mean, I, I, I think when the executives, if I recall correctly, might have even said something along those lines, to do that to their content. Now, this raises a few obvious questions. One is, again, what, what happened to the, in this particular case, to the family kind of family values, children's values, emphasis on children, these themes that made the Walt Disney Company an iconic American film company cater to the needs and interests of children for many, many decades. And again, it's, it's this, it's the same thing. You've seen the rise of this ideology. Uh, You know, we used to call it identity politics. I mean, you guys remember when identity politics was the name that we used to call this. And identity politics at some point, which is kind of the elevation or, or, or kind of uh, spreading breadcrumbs to various perceived aggrieved interest groups, whether you're, uh, you know, racial interest groups or immigration status inter- in interest groups, sexual orientation interest groups, so forth. You know, at some point you kind of just had this, this all-encompassing merging of identity politics into intersectionality and wokeism, and it's kind of just the, the next natural stage of the process there. But it is particularly galling, I think, for a company like Disney, which is so explicitly catered to the needs of children to be doing this. I, I, I mean, why does the Walt Disney, let me just say as explicitly as possible, why the hell does the Walt Disney Company feel the need to shove that shit down our throats? I, I mean, like, really? I mean, that ultimately is the million-dollar question that every single person should be coming back to. So if you go back to the beginnings of the Disney versus DeSantis fight, and the reason that we're talking about this is because this we're basically in round two of the fight right now. Literally just this week, the new board. Well, you know what? I'll put that aside for a second. I'll come back to that. I'll, the timeline here is is very interesting. So go back to the beginning. Then this was last March or April or so, a little over a year ago. And the the reason that Disney first lashed out at Governor Santis and Florida Republicans in general was due to Florida Republicans' parental rights and education law. What did that bill do? Well, this was what the media and the Democrats somewhat infamously labeled the so-called, quote-unquote, don't say gay bill. This bill had, uh, had nothing to do with the word gay. In fact, the word gay was nowhere mentioned anywhere in the bill. It was a totally commonsensical law that proscribed, that banned the teaching of sexual orientation and gender identity for children in kindergarten through third grade and would require that teaching of those same concepts for all other grades, meaning fourth through 12th grade, be age appropriate. So let me let me break that down. The Walt Disney Company going to the mattresses to oppose this law and ultimately saying after it was passed that they would respond by pulling all political donations from the state of Florida. I believe that was what they said. What did that mean? Well, it meant that they were going to war over the right to peddle gender theory 
to kindergartners, first graders, second graders, and third graders. Like, what the actual hell is wrong with you? You really care that much about grooming and transing the kids? Well, apparently, the Walt Disney Company actually does. Based on that video that we just played, based on the fact that higher-ups at Walt Disney Company last year, again, as I mentioned, Chris Rufo has the tapes, has the footage. This went viral about a year ago. He has the tapes to show that apparently the folks there do care an awful, awful lot about this. Now, the current situation as to what happened there to kind of just talk about that for a little bit. So Florida last April passed and signed a law that would get rid of the Reedy Creek Improvement District, which was put into law in 1967. This is back when Walt Disney was still alive. This is when the Walt Disney World in Central Florida was first being envisioned. And the Reedy Creek Improvement District gave all sorts of extra legal kind of tax municipal building code sort of breaks to Disney. So the initial round of this was Florida just stripping Disney's unique, special, extra-legal status, therefore putting it on an even level playing field with every other company operating in Florida, including like Universal. I mean, you know, Universal Studios is a, is a big deal in Central Florida. Universal plays by the same rules. Disney, up until about a year ago, played by an entirely different set of rules. And the Reedy Creek Improvement District which was right there in Lake Buena Vista where Disney World is. You basically had to had to have ties to Disney to send the board. The, the whole thing was a sham. It, it, it was a total and complete sham. So go back now to a couple months ago. Basically on the eve, on the eve of Florida instituting its replacement for the Reedy Creek Improvement District, the Central Florida Tourism Oversight Board, the difference being here that here, the Walt Disney Company does not actually name the people to this board. In this case, Governor DeSantis is the one who actually names the people to this board. On the eve, in the weeks leading up to that, the Reedy Creek Improvement District board members, before their board was nullified under Florida state law, met with Disney and the lawyers for Disney and the Reedy Creek Improvement District purported purported to enter into a development agreement whereby Disney would basically take full and explicit responsibility for all building, land management, and so forth decisions for roughly the next 50 years or so. So it was basically just an, an attempt to get an end around around what Florida and DeSantis were doing. Florida, The state of Florida was caught a little off guard when this happened. And now all options are on the table. Literally just this week that we are recording this episode, the Central Florida Tourism Oversight Board had a board meeting where they are discussing uh, their view that this purported development agreement was illegal for XYZ reasons. I'm planning to write about this topic, so go ahead and check out that column if you want to get into kind of the, the legal weeds with me. The Florida legislature may also just be passing a straight-up law to nullify to formally legislatively nullify this development agreement, which Florida has the legal prerogative to do, that would preclude the need for kind of long drawn out litigation on this subject. But one way or another, one way or another, Disney is going to lose this battle. Disney is going to lose this battle as they should. As they should. 
Because again, to kind of reiterate the overarching point here, the, the fight that Disney picked was about them being willing to die on the hill of transing kindergartners and first graders. I, 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 I cannot emphasize that point enough here. So again, I ask, why? Why? CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, part of it when it comes to kind of the LGBT, transgender, transing and grooming stuff, part of it is, of course, that this has just been the bread and butter of the left going back. Uh, it's not an exaggeration to say going back to Marx himself. I mean, one thing that Marx and his early acolytes, the early Marxists, one thing that they understood extremely well was that in order to control the masses, in order to ultimately really kind of control thought, which is the logical endpoint of the Marxist enterprise, in order to do that, you have to necessarily break down the family unit itself, and you have to ultimately get after the children. Right, you have, to, you have to ultimately break down the marital covenant, break down the, the bonds of marriage, and break down the bonds that tie together the parents and the children. You know, one of my favorite kind of parlor tricks, one of my favorite kind of bits of random knowledge is the very kind of harrowing, in a sense, fact that the concept of no-fault divorce, which were in the U.S. was kind of a 1960s-era kind of um, you know, liberalization of marriage laws, the, the, the entire concept of no-fault divorce goes back to Bolshevik Russia. It was actually Bolshevik social theorists. I, I'm not making that up. I mean, you can, you can Google that. I mean, it was in the aftermath of the Russian Revolution, you know, the Bolsheviks, the Mensheviks, all that, all that stuff. And it was a Bolshevik social theorist who first had the idea of no-fault divorce. He wanted to make it easier to divorce, easier to dissolve the bonds of marriage. Well, why do he want to do that? Again, because it's about breaking down the family unit, which here, there, and everywhere is the ultimate bulwark between an overweening tyrannical government and anything remotely resembling liberty. Same thing with the kids. You know, just this week, just this week, the state of Washington, Washington State, which in many respects is, is one of the tips of the spear for far leftism, uh, I mean, the, the governance there, I mean, I mean, it's kind of tragic in a sense because the state of Washington, if you actually look at kind of the, the margins in presidential years, it's not necessarily one of the furthest left states in the country. I mean, it's not necessarily like... A, I was going to say New York, but that's not a great example either because I have Lee Zeldin there. But the point is, when it comes to the state of Washington, the, the libs are really freaking libby. Sometimes terrifyingly so. You know, I'm, I, think it was, I think it was the assisted, assisted suicide case, the Glucksburg case back in the late 1990s that was out of Washington State. So Washington State is kind of always at the vanguard of some of these far-left progressive 
social transformation sort of things. And it was just this week that I saw that the governor of Washington, Jay Inslee, was prepared, it seemed, to sign into law a law that would, uh, if, if I remember the details correctly, would forcibly remove a child from the home if the parents do not consent to the child's desire to quote unquote affirm his new sex. Let me say that again. This law would permit the state of Washington here to forcibly remove a child from the home if they do not, the parents that is, do not consent to the child. We're talking here about a minor under the age of 18. Do not consent to the minor's desire to, you know, if your name is Harry, go by Sally tomorrow. If your name is Jane, go by Justin tomorrow. You know, chop off your healthy bosom, get a mastectomy, chemical castration. If the child, if the parents are like, whoa, 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 maybe we want to see a psychiatrist, maybe we want to talk this out. You know, gender dysphoria is is a, is, a, is a real thing. Let's kind of talk it out there with compassion and respect and all of that. No, I, I, apparently this law is about to go into effect in Washington. I believe it would be the first day in the country to do that. Canada, Australia, many of the other Anglophone countries have had similar laws depending on the provinces or territories for a number of years now. It, it is just truly, truly, truly appalling stuff. But the, again, this has been the the goal of the far left and the activist wing of the far left for a number of years now. And corporate America is fully into it. Corporate America is fully, fully on board with this agenda. We saw that with Bud Light and Dylan Mulvaney. We see it here with, with Disney and everything that they, that, they are, that they are continuing to do. And, you know, just to kind of take this out of the abstract and more into the tangible for a second here, you know, you in the audience, if you work a job, if you're at a firm, you've probably seen this. You've probably seen this unless you're working for one of the comparatively few genuinely right-of-center firms in America, Hobby Lobby, companies like that, you've probably seen this. I'm sure you've seen the mandatory DEI training, the mandatory, you know, two hour long sexual harassment training, all, all, all of this stuff, right? I mean, I remember on a personal note, this would have been what? It would have been five and a half years ago, I guess. This is back when I was working for Kirkland and Ellis back when I was a lawyer in private practice. I remember, I, I, this, this, this is fall of 2017, by the way. So this was kind of probably only at the beginning of the rise of kind of wokeism in white collar America and in corporate America in general. I, I remember this, this, I think it was like a global all-employee blast email went out at Kirkland Ellis, strongly encouraging all employees to wear a certain color in unison in tandem on gay day, LGBT day. I don't remember exactly what they called it. The color, if I recall correctly, was, was purple. And I remember thinking, uh, what? I, I mean, am I going to get like browbeaten here into wearing purple? I, I mean, can I just wear like brown i mean like a neutral color i mean do i really have to do this i mean am i am i gonna get ostracized will i be punished if if i don't do this so i know that you guys have seen this in your workplaces if you are a teacher i know that you have probably seen this from 
from your principals, from your superintendents, depending on the school district, of course. But uh, I mean, man, I mean, uh, you know, uh, lo- primary education is about as bad as it gets. Was, was listening actually just earlier this week. I went up to an event in Palm Beach, Florida. There's a small outfit there called the Palm Beach Freedom Institute, and they hosted an event with Andy Gutman, who has since moved down here to Florida. Andy was formerly living in New York City. He kind of went viral when he sent a a, a letter to other concerned parents at his daughter's private school. It was the Brearley School, one of kind of the elite prep schools in New York. And you know, I, th- I think that got him on. Or Tucker Carlson did a monologue about it. He was on. He was on the cover of the New York Post. Barry Weiss put it up, put it on her Substack, all that stuff. So, you know, the, the reason that I bring up the Andy Gutman anecdote is because if you are pissed off when you see this shit in your workplace, in your school, God forbid, in your church, synagogue, things like that. You are not alone. You are not alone. You know, the idea, for example, that kindergarten teachers, first grade teachers should be talking about sexual orientation and gender identity, the idea that an employee should be forced to wear a certain color to properly pay respects to a certain kind of interest group or whatever on a certain day. I mean... You are not alone if you are instinctively opposed to this stuff or if you are instinctively skeptical of this stuff. And that kind of brings me back to what is perhaps my, perhaps my final point here. So we talked last week, our theme of last week's episode was the only way out is through. Now, I was talking about this with... A friend of mine this week, I actually went went on his show on Locals, should be out soon on YouTube and Rumble, and we kind of had this conversation in full time. My friend Paulo, Brazilian guy, really, really brilliant Brazilian guy now living here in Florida. We, we kind of had this conversation in real time, Paulo and I, actually. And his point was, you know, like, and it's a very fair point, is, you know, do we, is this really how we want to live our life? Is it like thinking about every kind of consumption decision. Does this company believe in this? How hostile are they? Isn't it true that the vast majority of corporate America, the vast majority of widget producers, people who are producing your your kitchenware, your forks, your knives, your your computers, your, your vehicles, your automobiles, couches, all this. Isn't it true that the vast majority of companies in America currently producing widgets across the entirety of life currently dominated by people in hoc to vogue leftist ideas? And the answer is yes. The answer is yes, unfortunately. And do I want to live in a world where, you know, if I'm like walking down the aisle at CVS because I need like a new tube of toothpaste? I mean, do I want to live in a world where I'm looking at like Crest, Colgate, or Sensodyne, or which is what I actually use, or any other toothpaste company? And thinking to myself, oh, like what was the most recent ad campaign? Let me pull up on YouTube. Did, how, how woke did this toothpaste company? Uh, no. That's why diversity and inclusion isn't just good for society. It's good for business. I mean, I don't want to live in that world where I'm going through these sort of kind of mental gymnastics calculations. Here's the point. Here's the point that I made to Paulo and that I will reiterate here that I made also in last week's show. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. The point is that they have done it. They have brought this attempt to revamp large swaths of American society, the culture, civilization, through the means not merely of the political, not merely of the democratic processes, not merely through the courts, although that's obviously part of it, but also through corporate America flexing its muscles and trying to impose it from the top down via ESG, DEI, the BLM donations, all of that. So amidst that backdrop, amidst that backdrop, we have we have two possibilities. We can not engage, or we can try to use our power as consumers to push back and try to send a message. Last I checked, last I checked, America was still a primarily sane country. There are are any number of data points to support that. You know, one thing that was interesting, if you kind of go back to our post-mortem episode after the November midterm elections, it was a while ago at this point, but one thing that was interesting, Republicans did not nearly live up to the red wave that many thought they would, but they actually won the national popular vote by by, by a healthy margin. It it was kind of diminishing as the vote-by-mail tallies came in, but they still won the national popular vote. Uh, you know, a fat lot of good that did when it comes to the U.S. Senate and, and so forth, but they actually won the national popular vote. So, you know, the Republican Party, say what you will, it has a lot of its problems, but that data point alone, I think, shows that there are a lot of at least sane, and it's a pretty low threshold, pretty low floor. There are a lot of sane people left in America. So the point here is that if we sane Americans want to push back against the insanity, use your market pressure. Use your choice as a consumer if you are faced with a stark, obvious choice. So I'm not suggesting that you, in in the toothpaste hypothetical, take out your phone in the middle of CVS and do some Googling as to which toothpaste company is less woke than the other if neither is obviously in your face abhorrent about it. But take the example of Bud Light. If you go into the supermarket, if you go into the beer store and you want to buy a 12-pack for the game on Sunday maybe consider getting Coors Light instead. It's really not asking that much. Bud Light's feeling the pain. That's why their CEO sent out that mealy-mouthed letter that kind of read like a hostage letter. It was such a piece of vapid crap. But that's why they felt compelled to put out that nothing burger of a statement because they're feeling the pain. They've lost four and a half to $5 billion in market cap or whatever the exact number is as of the time that you will hear this recording. So use your power as a consumer. And if you are a politician, if you are in a place not merely to use kind of consumer power, but also political power, a la Governor DeSantis, vis-a-vis the Walt Disney Company, then yes, use it. Do I necessarily, again, want to live in a world if I were kind of devising society from scratch? Do I want to live in a world where the power of the state can be used to kind of retaliate against companies for XYZ thing? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. But that is where we are. That, to go back to one of this show's recurring late motifs, is knowing what time it is. Corporate America at this point 
has solidified itself as an enemy of the American way of life, as an enemy of traditionalist conservative values of the everyday working man. It was not always this way. It was not always this way. Going back to the 1920s, Calvin Coolidge was said to have said, he didn't actually say it, it's, a, it's apocryphal, but he, he, he basically said, although not in these exact words, he said that the, the business of America is business. So once upon a time, maybe that was true. Arguably. In the year 2023, it is simply not true. Corporate America is our enemy on so many of the most pressing cultural and civilizational fights afflicting these United States. And if we on the right, if we sane Americans more broadly have any chance of escaping from this rot and letting this wonderful experiment in ordered liberty from one generation to the next not sink into a cesspool or hellhole never to return, if we want that to happen, it is incumbent upon us to use our consumer preferences at a bare minimum to push back against the bullshit. So once again, I'm Josh Hammer. We hope you enjoyed this special look into the rise of corporate America and will capital. We are wishing Governor Santis all the best in his round two fight versus the Walt Disney Company. More to come on that front, I'm sure. And we will see you next time. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. <laughs>